llama shorts for those moments when you are stretched on time. We all go through some crucible like you describe in that you know, in that book, we all go through what we call the ditch, right? What you call the ditch. And so I, I was hoping that you could share what, what is the ditch? You know, so the ditch, I think, is where you find yourself in life and you don't expect to be there. It's either something you've done stupid like me. Maybe it's a scary diagnosis of cancer. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And you are literally down in the ditch and you think your situation is hopeless. You don't think anybody's ever been there. And it's really pretty damn bleak, Joe. And when you were in the ditch, you're usually clothed in a lot of shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. And it's not a place you want to be. My belief is everybody ends up in the ditch at one point or the other, Joe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So would you mind sharing the uh, the ditch that you describe in the book because do you think uh, you know let me before we even get there do you think that sure. most of us probably experience multiple ditches in, in, our, in our lives throughout our careers yeah I, i'm really i'm a true believer that we live our lives in seasons hmm. and there's a season sometime of dryness there's a season of joy there's a season of abundance and i think yes if you live this life long enough mm-hmm. if you are not living under a rock you are going to experience ditch moments. Some will be bigger than others. And hopefully, as we get older and wiser, I think our time in the ditch, my hope is it's less traumatic every time it shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that there's a lot of, you know, just learning moments throughout mm-hmm. the ditches that we go through. And, and I think there's a lot of options that we have too of do we want to sit there or do we want to grow from it? That's what you really describe in that book. Yeah. I mean, the choice is, do you want to be bitter and small? Because that's where you will be if you just sit in the ditch or get out and you're you're pissed off. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to take it as a learning experience and say, how can I be a better person? And mine was, how can I share my story to give others hope? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your ditch, the one that you describe in the book. Yeah. So it's a long story, but I can I can do it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a seven year lawyer. It's 1994. I'm a seven year lawyer. Uh, and I get a call from an insurance company and they say, Hey, listen, we want you to defend a trucking company. So I call the trucking company and the, and the director of claims, the guy that handles lawsuits and lawyers, his name's Sam. And, and we start doing Sam's work and we start with little cases and we do well and we get bigger cases. And so then, uh, this other lawyer and I leave our firm and start a new one and Sam's business follows us. Now, Sam is the director of claims, Joe for a, an umbrella of trucking companies that run all over the United States. So when we start our, our new firm back in 96, he is hiring us you know, from, from El Paso to Marshall and Dallas to Amarillo. Every time he gets sued, he's hiring our firm. And it's a lot of work and it's good work. And he is one of those clients that knows what he's doing, listens to you, lets you do what you need to do. And he was always very hands-on. Joe. So if we had a big deposition, if we had a mediation, if we had a trial, he was going to come in the night before and to be there the next day. So he and I went to dinner many, many times and we broke bread and I got to know his family. I mean, you sit around and have a two hour meal or with somebody 20 times, you get to know them. He got to know my family, Joe. He came out to my house and broke bread around my table with my family and even went to mass with us. And so he's a guy that has got a national footprint and he was very well regarded. You know, he was just a big personality. And if 
if you were in the trucking industry, you knew Sam or you knew of Sam. And he got a lot of perks and he was always very generous. And so in late 2001, I got a big box in my office and I opened it up and it is full of Green Bay Packers swag, signed footballs, signed jerseys, team prints, stuff he knew my sons were going to love. And they did. And so I called him. I said, Sam, thank you, man, for this. This is great. He goes, Mike, don't worry about it. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. I was not at all surprised, Joe, that he did that. And he said, did you get what I sent you? And I said, no. I mean, I saw two footballs, these jerseys. He goes, no, there's some for you at the bottom. I said, okay. So I dig everything out. And sure enough, there's an envelope, Joe, in the bottom of the box. And it's got three checks in it totaling about $10,000. And they're all made payable to me, but they're not on any cases I am working on for Sam, because I, I know this. So I said, you know, Sam, there's got to be a mistake. I see these three checks here. They're made payable to me. Checks never get paid payable to me. And, and these aren't cases I've got. He goes, no, no, no. Uh, what I want you to do, I want you to take those checks and I want you to run them through your law firm's trust account. And then I want you to take 25% of it and I want you to give me 75% of it. Hmm. And I said, no, I'm not, not going to do that. Right. And he said, okay, well, here's what you can do. I've made the checks payable to you. You just go cash them and give me the money. And I said, no. I'm not going to do that either. I said, Sam, this is how well I knew him. I said, Sam, do you need me to lend you 10,000 bucks? I mean, are you, are you sending some sort of financial straight? Do you, is somebody sick? Do you need money? And his tone changed, Joe. And, and, and he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take those effing checks and you're going to cash them and you're going to give me the money. And if you don't, I will tell everybody in the trucking business that you have lost it, and I will pull every bit of my business from your firm. Business at that point, Joe, that I remember was about $500,000 a year, right? So I'm at a crossroads. Do I, do I tell Sam to go to hell, call his boss and say, hey, by the way, your director of claims is embezzling money? Or do I cash the checks, give him the money, and shut up? So one of the things I have learned, Joe, is that morality and ethics, whether they're legal or religious or otherwise, sometimes get pretty weak when the reward for doing what is wrong or the fear of doing what is right is big enough. So I cashed the checks and I gave him the money. And, and my life at that point would forever be changed. Fast forward, during a routine audit, Sam's employer discovers, guess what? He's embezzling. I learned later to the tune of a million dollars and not, he would send these checks to lawyers all over the United States, Joe, and he would send them to you if you did his work in Montana. And these lawyers were taking 25% for themselves, sending him 75%. And I learned later that some of these transactions were in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So in January of 2002, it became obvious to me that the FBI was onto my involvement with Sam's scheme. So I drove home to tell my wife that I had ruined our lives. Mm. And, and I, I still can't share that conversation with you, Joe. It's still too raw. Mm -hmm. But suffice it to say, she's smart enough to say, dude, you need a lawyer. So uh, I went and got a lawyer uh, who sent me to a psychiatrist. Uh, I had to hire another lawyer because of the state bar grievance. And then uh, we had to work through all of that. The net, net of it was uh, I pled guilty to one count up in federal court uh, a federal judge sentenced me to 90 days in a halfway house. 
And just for anybody thinking, a halfway house is not like a little white picket fence house on a uh, a little lane in a small town. It's in it's just uh, it's industrial. I mean, it's part of the U.S. prison service. So I had to do that for 90 days from January to April of 2003. And uh, I had to go through the grievance process and I got a public reprimand, but I was able to keep my license. But during all that, Joe, that's when everybody cut and run. Everybody bounced. I mean, I was a pariah. You're you're in the military. I was in the military. Dude, word travels fast. Mm-hmm. And word gets out when you have absolutely beefed it and are radioactive. Right. And so we had to build a firm from nothing with two clients, all right? Mm-hmm. No place to practice and a banker that gave us a line of credit. And that was February 4th, 2002, a week from last, from yesterday. We opened the door with five people and had 162 files. And this last week, we have 13 lawyers, 37 employees, and we just opened file number 3,722. Wow. That's the story, very condensed. Yeah. So, Mike, do you mind, because I know a lot of people that are listening to this are probably not very... um savvy to terms when it comes to legal terms or, or sure. What is embezzlement? And and, cause to understand what Sam was trying to do and why he was trying to do that. Yeah. So embezzlement is you take money from your employer, Mm -hmm. his employer, and you pocket it for yourself. Either you steal it directly. I mean, literally think about someone working at a cash register, Joe, and just taking money out of and put it in their pocket. That's not their money. Their employer's money. Sam just did it a little bit uh, more, I guess. Mm, how should I say it? Uh, he was more sophisticated about it because he knew he had access and authority to write checks, and so he would, you know, send those checks to other people, all of whom I understood it um, would take a cut of it. And you know, those were not for claims that anybody handled. Those were just straight up checks that he wrote that got cashed, and then money was kicked back to him. In a nutshell, that's what it is. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you sharing that because I think that, you know, there's these terms that we hear often and I think we we attach our own versions of definitions to them. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, so so it makes makes a lot more sense um, when you put it into that context. So, you know, you're going through, something that jumped out at me when you're telling that part of the story was, you know, you're, the reason why you made that mistake you know, was to avoid something that inevitably happened anyway, because of, you know, you in losing client, you know, inevitably happened anyway. And isn't that life? I mean, that happens so often just like that. Mm, yeah. The thing you want to avoid ultimately is the thing that ends up yeah. happening. And in my case, you know, my fear was, well, gosh, if I don't do this, he's going to pull his business and tell everybody, that he's referred business to me that that I'd lost it and there was going to go all this business and the firm was going to blow up. And like you said, guess what? The firm blew up mm-hmm. because of my stupidity. Yeah, and, and, and this was a self-inflicted, this was a self-inflicted in the ditch, Joe. Mm-hmm. I want to be real clear about that. This was a stupid decision I made. Yeah. And, and you know, something about that though is I think that it's easy for people to judge your situation, looking out, looking in. Right. But when you're not in it, right. When you're in that circumstance and all those things are happening and you're thinking about providing for your family and, and everything else, right. That comes along right. with it. Yeah. Uh, 
people really don't know what they would do in that situation. You know, they could say that they know, but like in reality, it's, it's a lot more difficult when you're sitting in it. It really is. And, and I think people, if you ask people, you know, if in this situation, what would you do? I think they will say in the abstract, oh, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a big difference when you are on the, the razor's edge and you're faced with that. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, it's not as clear cut as it looks. And one of the things I learned, Joe, from telling my story and and, and putting out my book is lawyers call me and they tell me stories, man, that curl my hair Mm -hmm. of the things that they have been involved in. And, you know, some of them have walked away and Mm -hmm. said no. And some of them have engaged in them. Mm-hmm. And so it is not, I used to think that I was the only idiot, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And, and I was the only one that ever made a bad decision. But let me tell you, there are a lot of people who are confronted with things worse than mine mm-hmm. on a daily basis in this job. Yeah, I bet. And, and yours was, you know, it, it seemed like a big number, a big number attached to it. But how many people do small things like that regularly and it just kind of drift and drift into it? You know, I mean, it might be like taking a $20 gift here that's inappropriate or whatever. And then that just turns into something, um, a slippery slope, right? I mean, you could easily drift that way. Oh yeah. Because you know, well, I've done it before. It's nothing bad in the past. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, no one's getting hurt. It's just this. Yeah. And yet, you know, mine went from zero to a hundred because I had never had anything like that with Sam. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just hadn't. Mm-hmm. But obviously it was something that he knew he was going to do because he had done it with lawyers all over the country. Right. Right. I mean, do you think was in the book, it kind of alludes to it. Was he playing 3d chess, like playing the long game, like becoming oh, your I, friend? You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that he, I think he became my friend cause he's, he was a very friendly guy, mm. but I think he also sensed a vulnerability and mm. you know, it's that whole Godfather thing. You know, I'm going to get, do a lot of favors for you. At some point mm. I'm going to come to you and ask for a favor. Mm. And he would always been so generous and everything that I think sort of set it up like that. Now, again, I could have absolutely told him to go to hell and call his boss. But I think, you know, there may have been a, a lot of just probing and figuring it out. And, you know, when a dude's sending you a half a million dollars a year in business, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dynamics in play. And, yeah. and I will tell you, Joe, something similar to that has happened since then in the mm-hmm. not too distant past where a client kind of alluded to, well, listen, we need to work something out. And you'll be glad to know that the response at that point was pretty immediate and pretty severe that started with uh, a four letter word in you and come pick up your business. <laughs> because, you know, that I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, not doing that again, Joe. Right. Which means it still exists. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm positive. I mean, there's, there's so many just circumstances. And like I said, I think that most of the people probably listen to this aren't even going to be put, aren't even, likely to be in a position like you're in because just by circumstance of profession and everything else. Right. But, but there's that same opportunity to have an ethical lapse or even fall into an ethical dilemma where you have two values just conflicting with each other. I mean, that that's possibility too, because if Sam really became your close, close friend, and then you suddenly had this bond of loyalty to him, Sure. Is, right. I mean, then you, then you got this whole integrity loyalty thing. Right. And then you got loyalty to your family. I mean, it could just you can almost freeze in that moment. You can. And I froze and then went with the default, which was to protect what I thought was important at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it happens and it's quick. Yeah. Yeah. So that that happened. You, you, you found yourself in the ditch. Mm. 
in oh, yeah. the ditch. I dug it nice and deep too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting there looking at the walls of the ditch and, and, and now you got an option, right? You got a decision to make at that point. What was that decision? Well, really the decision was made for me, Joe, because, um, this all happened. I don't remember on what day of the week it was, but I remember that weekend uh, I, I was sitting on the couch talking to my wife and I said, here's the deal. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. Okay. I'm radioactive. Uh, everybody's blowing up my phone, wanting to know what the hell's going on. Clients are dying on the vine. I'm going to prison. I'm going to lose my license. I'm giving it all up. And my wife looked at me, Joe, and, and said, no, you're not. You were meant to practice law. That's what you're going to do. That is what you're going to do. And I thought, oh, Liz, you're out of your mind. No one's ever going to do that. But, you know, she's brilliant with numbers. She's still the CFO of our firm. The next day she gets a business plan together. We go to the banker. He gives us a line of credit. And then one thing falls in place after another. And it was, I mean, I was at a real crossroads there. Because if it had been up to me, mm -hmm. if it had been up to me, I'd have just said, forget it. I'm throwing in the towel. And, and like I say in the book, I'm not too proud to say it. You know, if I didn't think that it was life after this life, I would have ended it all. And I'm going to be honest with you. There were times that I just thought, you know what? It's just better for me to end all this than put everybody through this heartache. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a huge point that to bring up about, you know, having something that you, that purpose and that faith in something to be able to keep you upright in those situations. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just think that's amazing. And you know, the other thing too, is we need a Liz in our lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> All of us do. And, and at the Lama Lounge, we talk about assaulting through life circumstances, right. And, and the dealings mm -hmm. that come with it. But uh, we always talk, we, we say assaulting through is not an individual sport, you know? Oh, oh no, you need a tribe. You got to run with a tribe. Yeah. And I have learned that you run with the tribe and you've been in the military. I was in the military. You understand, you understand that bond that's created, but every one of us needs to establish our tribe. Because like I say in the book, Joe, if you want to see how nature does it, watch, watch Nat Geo one time when the hyenas go to take some sort of prey, the first thing they do is separate it from the herd. That's the first thing they do. Yeah. And that's the first thing when you are going to be taken down, they're going to try to do is separate you from the herd. That's why you've got to have a community. You've got to have people that you can reach out to and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm in a really hard place right now and I need your help. And that's why I talk so much about it because I've got friends and, and you may have friends that felt Joe like they had nowhere to turn to and they ended up taking their lives. And, and we have that opportunity and obligation to keep those people close. For more on this discussion, be sure to check out the entire episode. Be safe, stay healthy, keep growing. Llamas out.